Welcome to Uplift, Inspiring Stories to Uplift the World. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today, coming from Wisconsin, we have Jen Fredericks joining us as a resilience coach, Proactive Resilience, which is pretty amazing. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited, and just the title of the show uh, makes me feel happy. So hopefully what we share here can uplift others as well. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about you, a first intro. Sure. Um, I am a certified life coach with a specialty in resilience coaching or proactive resilience coaching. And I really stumbled upon this framework and system um, because I'm on my fourth kidney and I needed some support. Okay. Tell us more about that. Sure. Uh, well, uh, I am in my late 40s now, but when I was in my early teens, um, discovered that I had end-stage renal disease due to just a virus that I caught that decided to um, go visit my kidneys. And by the time I was 15, I needed a kidney transplant um, after being um I say lucky, even though people might not find it lucky, but I was lucky to be able to be on dialysis until I found a match. Um, and I say it's lucky because with kidney disease, there are several other treatments that you can try until you're able to get a transplant if that's what your course of treatment choice is. So after about six months of dialysis, um, my dad was determined to be my match. And so I I received a kidney from my dad and it really, really served me for 18 years, 18 beautiful years um, where I was able to finish high school, follow my passion for acting, you know, go to college, get my degree. I met my husband, got married, you know, sort of like the happy life, bought a house, adopted our beautiful daughter. Um, so those 18 years that the kidney served me were were really um, important times in my life. Uh, and then it decided it was tired. And so um, I was on the hunt again for another donor. And after, again, about six months of dialysis, it was found that my husband's twin brother was a match for me. Um, and I like to throw the joke in there, like, oh, well, why didn't your husband donate? Was Is he just like a jerk? Or like, no, they're fraternal twin brothers. So my husband actually was not a match, but his fraternal twin brother is. And we actually just celebrated 11 years out from that kidney transplant. So that's my four kidney story. <laughs> I mean, that's quite an interesting story. And to have living donors of your closest family because i still consider your twin the twin of your husband as your closest family especially to go to the point of giving you a kidney i mean he considers you his sister that's it oh yeah definitely 100 consider ourselves that <laughs> yeah so that's pretty amazing wow yeah because what we hear usually is that you're waiting for someone to pass on and be a match and be matched to you to actually get this all going. And then you, you still have some level of guilt to say, yeah, but this other person died for me to leave. Is that really fair? Yeah. But you yeah. do not have that question looming on you because you have two loving donors that you can still hug. I consider myself very 
very lucky in that yeah. regard. And, and also with both of my donors being living donors, um, I never needed to go on the transplant list and wait for a donor who had passed. And so in actuality, my two living donors saved two people's lives, if you can look at it that way, because they donated directly to me and then opened spots up um, for others on the list to receive you know, a, a kidney from, from someone else. And it is, it's true. Um, you know, I've sp spoken with a lot of um, recipients over my <laughs> three decades of living with uh, chronic illness and um, transplant. And it is something that you really come to terms with and, and work to come to terms with. And some people um, are able to do that a little bit easier than others. And one thing I share is that you being able to accept that gift of life and doing all you can to stay healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually is really the greatest testament to the person who has passed on who is allowing you to live. And so, you know, I'm not saying be all Pollyanna about it and only see the positives, but I'm saying feel what you feel and then find your way forward. Mm -hmm. And imagine as well that you are precious enough to continue to live and continue to be a beacon of light in the physical alive world. Right. to help others on their journey. Definitely. You know, every once in a while, I, I'm not one to ask why me a lot, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but every once in a while, I, I will have that kind of question. And so then I get quiet with myself and take some time and, and, and think and be outside in nature, or meditate or whatever. And I do ask why me and not that those who have already passed did not um meet the world where they were meant to be and contribute in their way but the answer i always feel very deeply inside is that i'm not done here yeah. i'm not done here in the physical realm and um so that's one reason why i keep fighting and you know i'm knocking on wood that i don't need a fifth kidney but should i and if i'm lucky enough to receive one i will keep you know, taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually so that I can um, continue to carry out my mission, whatever that is here on earth. That's fantastic. Jen, you are an inspiration. You are an example, a beacon of light. Thank you for sharing your story, being a, being on your fourth kidney. I love that word, you know, that's what you things. That's pretty amazing. And to also uh, reframe the fact that your um, father and brother-in-law actually saved two people, you and someone else who now can be on the list because you are not in and then be a match to whoever else is available. Mm -hmm. So to get, 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 get someone more up on the list. Yes. That's think, really cool. I think it's very important to find those moments and your own ways to instill hope in life even when things are dark and difficult and and so that is one thing is like yes i am you know physically suffering right now however i'm working toward a treatment where then i can fully live life and 
I'm hopeful that someone else is getting the exact same chance. I'm doing an assumption, but I'm going to ask you first. Yes. Is that is all of that proactive resilience, that way of looking at things? I, you know, I, I love that question. And people used to always ask me, they still do, you know, how are you so resilient? And I never really knew. I guess I never took a pause to ask myself that. I just did it. So the more introspection I've done and the more reading I've done on resilience and then actually running across this framework called ProSilience or Proactive Resilience by Linda Hoops. She is an organizational psychologist. Um, and, and then me wanting to adapt ProSilience to help those with uh, life-threatening chronic illness. It's I found sparks and glimmers of what I've done over the years in this language of ProSilience. And so I guess I would have to say, yeah, I've been practicing prosilience for a long time, yet I didn't have any language around it. I didn't have the words to describe it. And one of the four building blocks of prosilience or proactive resilience, so you can build your resilience for turbulent times in the turbulent world, but one of the four building blocks is calming yourself. Mm. And I actually think that is the one that I bring myself back to and invite others to practice more often than not, because when we're able to calm ourselves, and that's just not like calm down and relax, that's calm and regulate your central nervous system, mm -hmm. bring yourself into your parasympathetic nervous system so that your thinking brain can help you through some of these difficult times. Mm -hmm. um, calming myself also allows me to connect more to the divine or my life force. And so that is one of the first building blocks I really work on with people, um, in addition to self-awareness, um, because without self-awareness, it's difficult to be uh, resilient. Yeah, self-awareness where you can really become aware of your behavior, your quirks, your 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 way of, of thinking, your constant same um, loop you keep on going through and say, hey, hold on a second, there is a pattern here. Okay. Is that really serving me? Mm, not really. Okay. How would I actually change it? Oh, because I can. Yeah, you do can. Absolutely. That that idea, when I've started doing um, this professional and personal development work, the idea that we may not be able to control what's going on around us, but we can mm -hmm. control and we can choose our response versus our reaction has totally shifted the way I interact um, with the world and with um, my family. And especially it's really helped me to find the energy in which I enjoy showing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Fascinating. So um, you said three decades of experience and then you said that you are in your, in your late 40s. Um, how long have you, when have you discovered this proactive resilience framework that was actually able to tell you what you were already doing? Right. It probably about four or five years ago. Um, and it actually came about um, after my daughter was diagnosed with her own life-threatening chronic illness. And I was able to manage all of my stuff pretty well. Yet when it's someone you love, 
someone outside of yourself, you know, when it's your heart walking outside of your body, it's uh, much more difficult. It hits you differently. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I was not able to be my full self and support myself and her. And so I started to look for those things that would support me. I I was lucky enough at the same time to go through a layoff from my corporate marketing job and decided, hey, maybe I'll be a life coach. And so actually the transition from corporate world to coaching world, um, I was doing it for my career, but I really did it to keep myself upright Mm. and it, it changed the way I show up in the world. It changed the dynamic of my house. Um, and it is allowing me to help and support and guide others when they come up against these difficult challenges and adversity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I imagine that because you have that marketing um, knowledge of before, and now you are applying that to your coaching business, that you're doing pretty well because you apply the marketing to your own business, which is pretty cool. Are are you succeeding at that? Is that something good for you? Yeah, you know, you would think so. Um, But it's much more difficult, I think, to market yourself and to know yourself in such an intimate way to then be able to share it with others. Mm -hmm. And um, I find it more, I don't like to talk about marketing my business or myself. I, I like to think of it more as being the invitation so sharing, coming from a place of um, agape love and respect and sharing my truth and knowing that the people who are seeking that guidance will find me. Um, mm-hmm. It's so much easier to market a product that's tangible um, rather than the idea of transforming your life. Um, so it's been an interesting journey and discovery and i'm still working on it now and just finding really my way to show up in the space so that i attract the people that i'm meant to work with mm-hmm. that's fascinating it is fascinating wow how can people reach out to you i'm, I'm going to put that in the description but let's yeah. share it already sure well um i'm on facebook I'm on Instagram. And then also, if you'd like to read a little bit more about Prozilience, I'm at prosiliencecoach.com. Okay. And then there are buttons there that you can click and we can take some time together to see if this seems like the right journey for you and also if we're the right fit. That's pretty amazing. Jen, you are such a blessing and inspiration. Thank you for sharing your journey, a little bit of your journey, not everything, of course. (laughs) And hearing that your daughter is also going through her own um, difficulties, that resonates with the heart of many, many parents. Yeah. Because it's it's not easy at all when your kids are going through that because it's really like it, it touches you. As you said, it hits you differently, much deeper, actually, because you care so much. You have so much expectation for them to to grow and to and to outlive you and to and to do so well. And you are here. No, you're not struggling the same way as I do. Yeah. Oh God! No, it's it's certainly true. And and what do I what I invite those caregivers for for those um, caring for people that they love is to remember that this isn't your journey. It's your loved one's journey, and you're there to guide and support. 
And ultimately, I've found the best thing that serves me is trusting in the unfolding. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not saying don't be your child's advocate, don't be your own advocate, don't research, don't, you know, but trust that when you're on a certain path and you've made a certain decision, it's part of resilience too. change, you know, choose a strategy to meet that challenge. And mm-hmm. mine a lot is to trust in the unfolding. Once we've done all the research, once we've made the decision, stay on the path and see how it's serving to heal. Perfect. Jen, thank you so, so much for our conversation today. It's such a blessing. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.